Good morning. Thank you, Encounter Band. So we are back. We are in, we're doing the wrapping up Paul's second missionary journey this morning, and it's going to be slightly less crazy than it was last week. Uh, next week, we're going to start on the third missionary journey. And um, we will have two to three weeks there because there's a whole lot to cover in the third journey. Um, This morning, thankfully, we have a little bit less to cover than last week. Those of you who were here last week, they started playing the wrap-up music literally when I was like a third of the way through the sermon, uh, which was fun. But we we have less to cover, so I'm going to do recap a little bit of last week and try to get our minds around the second missionary journey so that next week we're ready to head into the third missionary journey. Just as a reminder, um, this is the second journey. So for those of you who were here last week, you remember that the second journey started when Paul and Barnabas had been in Antioch for a couple of years, and um, they said, or Paul said, hey, let's go visit all the churches that we, we planted on our first missionary journey. Let's, let's check in and see how they're doing. Paul, as we're going to discover, has itchy feet. He doesn't like to stay home for very long. He just gets home, and then he travels, travels, travels. He likes to live on the road. Uh, so they, Paul, Barnabas said that's a great idea. Then they had this huge fallout over who they were going to take with them. Mark, Mark was the young man who accompanied them on the first trip, but he got scared early on and he cut and he ran. And Barnabas said, let's take Mark with us. Give him another chance. And Paul said, no way. He is unreliable. And so Paul and Barnabas had such a fight over it that they actually split up. Barnabas took Mark on his own missionary journey, and we don't hear writings of that. Paul took Silas, and then in their first stop, they joined up with Timothy. And so the second missionary journey, we have the trio of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And what happened is very early on, their uh, plan to just revisit the first churches went awry because God sent something that that propelled them all the way to the edge of the continent. And as we talked about last week, the the theory is that that was a sickness because Paul talks about sicknesses and, and needing medical care. So what happened is instead of visiting just those first couple of churches that they had planted, they go all the way to the edge of the continent for whatever reason, planting churches as they go. They end up in Galatia, they end up in Troas, and in Troas they meet Luke, who is a doctor, who is a physician, who journeys with Paul for the rest of his life. And at that point, it switches from third person to first person in the book of Acts. It switches from they traveled to we traveled because Luke is the one who wrote both the gospel according to Luke and the book of Acts. And so we have the narrator now now telling the story in first person and Luke is going to travel with Paul the rest of his life and stay with him. And so he has a eyewitness, first account eyewitness of all of the events that happened throughout the rest of Paul's life. So then they keep traveling. And what we got to last week was the exciting part where Paul encountered pushback. And what, one of the things we talked about last week is one of the things we see from these journeys is that Uh, we can control what we say, but we can't control how people receive it. And if we are married to the idea of everybody liking and appreciating us at all times, we're just not going to get very far in the missionary journey life. Because when you proclaim the word of God, sometimes it is received and it is planted and it grows. And sometimes it is met with hostility. And sometimes it is met with condescension. And 
Paul was saying the same things, and sometimes it was being received, and sometimes um, people sneered at him, and sometimes people tried to put him in jail. And the difference was not the message he was proclaiming. The difference was how people reacted to it, and you can't control people's reactions. And so where we ended last week was he spent time in Thessalonica and Berea, both of which he got pretty, pretty extreme hostility to the point that they got him out of town to try to save his life. And while he was waiting for them, he waited in Athens, and Athens was the philosopher's city. And so as he was preaching in Athens, what he got there was not hostility, he got condescension from people who were so smart that they were way too smart to listen to the kind of um, babble that they labeled Paul is preaching. And so the church in Athens, he made a few believers, but none of it went very far because they were too smart for him. And so last week we heard this kind of two different ways of misreceiving the word of God, to receive the word of God and to lash out because you feel attacked or to receive the word of God and then to just smile condescendingly and think you're too smart for it. Um, Those were both things that Paul experienced. After Athens... Um, when Paul, when Silas and Timothy finally get done with the work in Thessalonica and Berea, and they come to join him in Athens, they find that he's moved on. And Paul has moved on, and this is going to be the final step of his missionary journey, but he's going to spend the longest time here. He's moved on to Corinth, and this is where we're going to be this morning. This is Corinth. This is Acts chapter 18. And this is an interesting trip, um, Many of us are familiar with Corinth because the letter to the Corinthians is one of the most famous and most popular. Um, If you have ever been to a wedding in North America, you are familiar with the letter to the Corinthians because 1 Corinthians 13 is the most overused Bible text of the entire New Testament. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's beautiful, right? 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 2, were both born out of the hardest church that Paul ever planted. So let me give you some background to Corinth. We we covered this when we talked about Corinthians, but let me just rehash it again. Corinth was a port city. Corinth was also the home of the the temple to Aphrodite. So you know how you worship Aphrodite? You literally go visit a temple prostitute, and that's your worship for Aphrodite. And this was a port city, so it was full of sailors. So they just loved worshiping the goddess Aphrodite. And then, like, beyond that, it was the home of, like, even even the pagans of the time called this the home of the vices, right? So there was gambling. There was um, uh, theater, but risque theater. And so imagine maybe, like, our image of Las Vegas, right? What happens in Vegas stays in... What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And... Paul goes to plant a church there. <laughs> he goes to plant a church there. And he has a terrible, terrible time. Um, this is the hardest church that he ever had to plant, partly because it is in this wild, raucous city, and partly because of what happens when he finds himself planting there. So this is, first, this is Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he found... a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. So this is the introduction of a very famous couple, Aquila and Priscilla. 
they are, uh, it says, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So they are living in Rome. The Jews had been uh, ordered to leave because of a crazy emperor, because that sometimes happened over the course of history. And so they, because they were tent makers, which means workers in canvas, they went and they set up their shop in a port town, Corinth, because there are a lot of ships coming through. Ships always need sails. And so it makes sense if you are a worker of canvas to go set up your shop there. Paul was also a tent maker by trade. And so he's walking through the marketplace. He sees this couple. Um, he strikes up a conversation about tent making and voila, he has his entree into the community. And so he works with them for a while. And then he went with them to the, to the synagogue. And then he started, as was his custom, preaching about Jesus in the synagogue. So this is his start in Corinth. Um, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with proclaiming the word, testifying to the Jews that the Messiah was Jesus. When they opposed and reviled him, in pro so they, um, they did not receive it. They met it with hostility. In protest, he said, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so he, um, his temper flares up a little bit. He throws his hands up and he says, I'm not going to preach to the Jews anymore, at least not in this city. And I, he went over and he started preaching to the Gentiles, but he didn't go very far. He actually went next door. <laughs> then he left the synagogue and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to the synagogue. What could possibly go wrong? So Peter, uh, Peter Paul, decides to leave the synagogue because he's getting pushed back. He walks next door and he keeps on preaching very loudly with the windows open, <laughs> rubbing it in. So he didn't leave. He's still there. And uh, intentions start to mount. You know, it's one thing if you're going across the city out of sight, out of mind. But Paul is literally next door, preaching very loudly, getting more and more people in the house. Intentions are flaring. Crispus, the official of the synagogue, became a believer in the Lord, together with all his household, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul became believers and were baptized. Okay, now, so there is a lot left unsaid right here that we're going to hear in this next verse. I want you to listen to this. One night, the Lord said to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, speak, and do not be silent. Okay, God would not have sent a vision to say that if Paul had not been afraid. Now remember, Paul has been through a lot at this point. He's been stoned, he's been put into prison, he has been literally frisked out of cities multiple times, and yet something is happening in this city to make him afraid for his life. Something is happening in this city to make him think about giving up the mission. If he hadn't been thinking that, then God wouldn't have had to send a vision to say, keep speaking, do not be silent. Paul is wrestling with something that's happening, and maybe it is being rejected by the people he considered his own. Remember, Paul was the most educated Jew of his time. He was a faithful Jew. He firmly believed that while uh, the, the gospel was open to the Gentiles, this was the culmination of the Jewish story. This was the culmination of God's work in Israel. And so to be rejected by his own hits a little bit closer than to be rejected by strangers, right? To be rejected by his own is different than being rejected by the outsiders, and on top of that, if the tensions are going up and up and up, there's something going on here 
where Paul is lying awake at bed one night and he's thinking about just giving up. I'm going to pause here for a second. I'm going to pause here for a second because this is a really, really important point for us to understand. There is a misconception out there. And it's a misconception uh, largely due to incomplete preaching. And the misconception is this. Christianity allows us to live our best life and be our best selves and get the most out of this life that we possibly could. That's, that's halfway true. That is halfway true. And I preached that before because if, if people have no conception of Christianity, like if you start with the cross, nobody's going to come, right? <laughs> if you start with martyrdom, nobody's going to be like, sign me up. And when you paint a picture of resurrection, a new creation, there is a truth in which you and I become our fullest self. You and I attain ultimate joy, ultimate happiness, ultimate all of these things. When we partner with God and bring you about the kingdom of God and then take our place in the new creation. So there is a way in which you and I become fully and completely satisfied and whole and joyful by fulfilling our role in the kingdom of God. And yet what happens when you only say that part is people misconstrue it to say that I come do the Christian stuff to make myself happy and satisfied. And if it ever stops making me happy and satisfied, then I'm going to move on to something else that will make me happy and satisfied. Right? You hear, you hear how that's different? So if you only get that Christianity is about making you happy and satisfied, the problem is when you are on your missionary journey, whatever it is, the time's going to come when you do not feel happy and satisfied, even though you are doing the work that is, God has put in front of you. Nobody is happy and satisfied their entire lives, even when they are being faithful and obedient. Jesus was probably, Jesus was definitely not happy and satisfied his entire life. Paul was not happy and satisfied his entire life. And if you and I conceive of our faith as something that should make us happy and satisfied every moment, you and I will cut and run at the most important parts. Because when push comes to shove, and you and I start to feel uncomfortable, sometimes it's because we are where God wants us to be. And I want to read this next line because this is, this is the one that keeps me up at night. One night the Lord said to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, speak, do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to harm you. So he's giving him a promise of protection, right? He's not saying I'm going to throw you to the wolves. It's not going to be easy, but I'm not going to throw you to the wolves. No one will harm you for there are many in this city who are my people. Other translations of that is I still have some in this city. The implication is I need you to keep talking because there are people who are only going to hear it through your words. And if you stop talking, they're not going to hear it. In other words, what God is saying to Paul is, look, I know this is hard, but this is not about you. I'm going to get you through it, but this is not about you. This is about the people I put you on this earth to bless. I will get you through it. I will protect you. I will help you. 
but I need you to not cut and run because if you do that, others will be hurt by your abandonment of your mission. Paul stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. A year and six months. Now you remember, this is, he goes quickly. He was three weeks in Thessalonica. He was only a month in some other places. He stayed in Corinth a year and six months because that's what it took to establish this church. The church that was for Paul the most difficult of all and yet produced for the church some of the most beautiful language that we have in the entire New Testament. Friends, Paul's choice here is 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 a paradigm for us. When you and I come to points in our life, when we realize that we've gotten into this Christian thing for the wrong reason. Because I'll tell you what, I am not standing in front of you as somebody who is an expert at this. I am standing in front of you as someone who is a recovering self-help addict. And so often, I put the gospel in the same box as as my self-help ideas. And it's easy to do because there's so many similarities, right? So the gospel, when I follow it, does make me a better person. The gospel, when I follow it, does make me more fulfilled. The gospel, when I believe in it, gosh, brings me an experience of God that I can't get anywhere else. And if I were to list for you the times that I have felt so close to God, I couldn't fill them all in a morning. And the meaning that the gospel has brought into my life is just extraordinary. But when I focus on that, then the danger is when push comes to shove and I realize I'm not getting anything out of this, then my instinct is to turn and find something that I get more out of. And that's when God says, there are people I need you to reach. There are people I need you to reach. This echoes for us the moment in the garden when Jesus wrestled with what he was being asked to do. Jesus was not happy and satisfied in the garden of Gethsemane. In fact, he said to his father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Paul wrestling on his bed at night. We don't know what he said, but he must have said yes because he stayed for 18 months preaching the word of God. And because he did, the world was changed. Friends, every time in our story that the world is changed, it's because somebody stayed. It's because somebody was faithful. It's because somebody did not prioritize their own temporal satisfaction over the mission of the kingdom of God. Every time the world has changed and something amazing happens, it's because people understood that what they were doing was taking their part of a grand, great story being told and not just achieving personal satisfaction. Every time something extraordinary happens, it's because people are fulfilling their role in their missionary journey. And because of that, they are prioritizing the word of God. And you know what? 
you do get really satisfied out of that and a lot of joy and extraordinary experiences. And I don't want to lie about that. I don't want to downplay that because I do honestly believe that following the gospel with your whole life and your whole heart is the most meaningful way to live your life. And yet, if you focus on that, you will become useless to the gospel because you will be so focused on your own experience, you will run when God needs you most. And sometimes when God needs you most is when you don't want to be there. My dad told a story once. And um, this has stuck in my head, and I don't have the reference for it, so if you want the reference, you should call him and ask what it is. But it was, it was a, a young man who had given his life to Christ, and he had made this commitment that he was going to tell his testimony, um, and he was going to tell it every chance he got. And he went, he was, um, he was, he was called uh, to... to like a college dormitory, um, uh, he was on this, this call line and he was called to this college dormitory from somebody who was expressing interest in hearing the gospel. Um, he was also, the, the person calling was also extremely drunk at the time because it was like a college dormitory. And so he shows up and this person who was drunk, calling, asking to hear the gospel had in the time between the time that he had called and the time he'd shown up, passed out on the bed. And so he's standing there and he's looking at this guy completely passed out. And uh, he was like, well, I committed to tell my testimony, so I'm going to do it. And he just started talking. And he felt like a complete idiot. And he started talking and he kept talking and he finished it. And then he kind of like pulled the blanket over up over this young man who was passed out. He said, maybe osmosis did something. And then he left. Um, and then later he was stopped on the campus by somebody he did not recognize and said, you're the guy. You're the guy who changed my life. I just recognized your voice. It was you. And he goes, what are you talking about? Were you, were you the one who was passed out in the bed? He goes, no, I was under the bed. You don't know what God is doing. I mean, that's the thing. That's the moral of the story is you don't know what God is doing. You don't know what God has in mind for you, and you don't know what God is trying to do in any particular situation. And if your only compass in life is how you are feeling about the situation, you're going to go wrong because you don't have enough information to know who God is trying to reach. You don't have enough information to know what the full plan is. All you have is your call and your mission. And in the end, all you have is your faithfulness and your obedience. And I'll tell you what, if you can get through it, if you can say yes, if you can keep showing up, if you can keep doing it, you will find more meaning and more joy than I can possibly describe. But if that's your goal, you won't get there. And so this week, my friends, as we share together in this table that reminds us of the sacrifice of our Lord, and as we go into this week, I ask us to consider what's our compass? What's our goal? Why are we here? What do we want? And if God came to us in a vision tonight and said, don't stop talking, what would we answer? Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, 
giver of all good gifts. Giver of all good gifts. We underestimate so many times the gift of vocation and the gift of your calling and the gift of ministry, the gift of being able to speak and to tell your story and to tell our story. Forgive us when we have prioritized our own comfort over the job that needs to be done. Forgive us when we have prioritized our own satisfaction over the job that needs to be done. Forgive us when we have prioritized our own feelings of happiness over the people you are trying to reach. Forgive us, we pray, and free us for joyful obedience that through that joyful obedience, you might indeed change the world. Change the world. This we pray as we say together the prayer our Lord taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.